Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. If it's your first time here, hi, my name is Lauren and this is Liam. Hello. And as always, we have a lot to talk about. So first up, our lead story, Joe Rogan versus, I guess, the establishment, the media. He's had several guests on lately that have really challenged the people who usually control the narrative. And to his mm -hmm. credit, he has stuck by the idea of being able to talk with different people about different concepts. Then the internet's favorite troll, Jessica Yaniv. Uh, Yaniv, I don't know even what pronoun to use. I just, I don't want to get banned off of anything, all right? Don't get mad at me. I just work here. Uh, Yaniv is in the news again after suing a beauty pageant who didn't allow her, him, whatever, to compete because uh, Yaniv has not had actual gender reassignment surgery yet. Then in France, tensions are high as another attack recently occurred, resulting in more deaths after a teacher showed infamously a uh, cartoon of the prophet muhammad and now there are cries of of course not 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 just the need to confront islamic extremism but also islamophobia because obviously uh muslims are the real victims here this Tuesday, election day, we will be at Tim Pool's election night stream party or whatever mm -hmm. uh, on his stream and also maybe doing some streaming of our own on our own YouTube channel with some different guests that will also be there. So I guess just, uh, you know, if you want to be involved with that, follow us on social media so you can see what we're going to be up to. But this isn't a very election heavy episode, but don't worry, the election content is coming and yeah, it's coming sure. on Tuesday. So first off, let's talk about Joe Rogan. I am not the most rabid Joe Lo Joe Rogan listener. I knew I know you are, you know, along with protein. He's he's one of your interests. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, I I I like his show. Most of well, I don't even watch most of his episodes, but it's I like a lot of the guests he has on. He's willing mm -hmm. to talk to just about anyone. Um, maybe a little bit less so than he was in the past. Yeah, um, I do feel like he's had fewer conservatives on lately, like actual just straight up. Yeah, no, no. Well, back in the day, he'd have on people like Stefan Molyneux, which now Gavin McInnes, Gavin McInnes, yeah, like Crowder. people that I think that he will not have on again. Yeah. Um, but this week was kind of um, uh, an exception to that rule in mm -hmm. a, in a big, big way, and um, he's kind of like this is almost like um two or even three, maybe even four stories together lumped into one. Yeah, all surrounding Joe Rogan. So he's really been, he's been making waves in a lot of ways, like doing doing things yeah. that a lot of people are not too happy with him with. But I, I think it's great. I mean, even yeah. though like I don't watch his show every episode, but he is kind of like the only person right now that's able to, in a meaningful way, stand up to these big tech platforms that are trying to silence certain voices by having them on his show. Right. And yes, he gets flack for it, but at the same time, he's so popular right now that, I mean, what what can they do to him? He's freaking Joe Rogan, most popular podcast in the world. Yeah, I think he was, and, and I think in terms of like uh, listeners, viewers, just like an audience, he reaches more people than I think any program in the world, including yeah. TV, anything like that. He's, he's got a huge audience now. Um, and uh, it's kind of important, as before we get into these stories, to just preface it for those of you that don't know with his deal with Spotify. Right. right? So th there was a big change in the Joe Rogan experience announced earlier in the year um, in, in that his show would become exclusive to Spotify uh, on the audio platforms. Right. So for podcasts, it would only be available on Spotify, and he signed a big deal, uh, strictly a licensing deal, apparently, um, with Spotify. Um, and that's prompted 
um, a lot of discussion, I guess, um, with regards to Spotify as a company and I guess if they're going to moderate him or not or if they can and, mm -hmm. and, and what the deal with that was. Because keep in mind, Spotify is also the platform that banned Alex Jones, right? Yep. There was that. It seemed concerted to me. There was this, like in one fell swoop. He was gone from like Spotify, iTunes, yeah, uh, Twitter wasn't far behind that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, now Joe Rogan talks to a lot of these people that have been banned. But again, he's popular enough where I guess Spotify still sees money in hosting his show. So it's interesting to see how they're kind of wrestling with that. The mm -hmm. first story that we're going to look into specifically is that recently Joe Rogan had on, uh, gosh, what's her name? Abigail Schreier. Abigail Schreier, right. Who she is. I, I actually watched parts of that episode, at least. I do not find her transphobic in the slightest. No. But she is someone who talks about, you know, the issue of, like, I guess, rapid onset gender dysphoria. The idea of gender dysphoria is kind of like a, a social contagion. And apparently that is enough now to make you transphobic. So we have this article from Vice. Spotify CEO defends keeping transphobic Joe Rogan podcasts online. Don't you love that framing? Isn't that amazing? That's how it always is now. Yeah. So this article reads, in a Spotify all-hands company meeting on Wednesday, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek defended keeping transphobic content from hugely popular podcaster Joe Rogan on the audio platform, who earlier this year signed an exclusive licensing deal with the company, likely worth tens of millions of dollars. Some staff inside the company feel alienated by Spotify's hosting of certain The Joe Rogan Experience episodes, according to copies of some of the questions presented to the meeting obtained by Motherboard. The news signals how Spotify, as it moves into the podcasting space beyond music, is facing content moderation decisions more commonly associated with social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter. Spotify has already removed JRE episodes with some right-wing figures, including Alex Jones and Gavin McInnes. So something I want to note here is that there exists this group of activists who, like, they just, they love to censor, right? They're mm -hmm they cannot stand the idea of people being able to freely listen to someone like Alex Jones or Gavin McInnes. So, you know, we saw them first, they were kind of harassing Twitter saying, how could you dare platform these people? Then it was YouTube. How can you dare platform these people? And now that Joe Rogan and by extension, kind of Alex Jones are on Spotify. Well, now all of these people are going to say, hey, Spotify, why do you support white supremacy? And I think like the only way to really stop the onslaught of censorship that we see and that's becoming increasingly serious is just to stop listening to these people. Oh, right? yeah. These people are such a tiny minority of people. Yeah, they're loud on Twitter, but Twitter, as we know, is not real life. So these companies, they need to stop listening to them. I mean, it sounds like at Spotify and I think places like YouTube and Twitter, they do exist like within the company. I say like, look, if you're in charge, you say, this is how it's gonna be. We're gonna be neutral. And if you don't like it, you don't have to work here. Like how hard is that? I really want these like tech CEOs to sack up if they really do believe in like free speech, like a lot of them, like Jack Dorsey at least pay lip service to. Yeah, and, I, and honestly, I think that most of these employers are probably replaceable. Yeah, so seriously. I, I don't see any reason to allow them to dictate things. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting the amount of internal turmoil that this has caused in Spotify. Mm. Uh, they, it's been, uh, they've been trying to keep it under wraps, I think, but this has caused like a huge, huge kind of discussion internally as a company where they're wrestling with these left-wing progressives and right. what to do with 
something like the Joe Rogan experience. This Vice article continues, in the case of Joe Rogan, a total of 10 meetings have been held with various groups and individuals to hear their respective concerns, X said, according to three sources. And some of them want Rogan removed because of the things he said in the past. Others have concerns specifically over a recent episode, X said, and Joe Rogan and the episode in question have been reviewed extensively. The fact that we aren't changing our position doesn't mean we aren't listening. It just means we made a different judgment call. So they're still trying to be like, no, we hear your concerns. Maybe we're not against the, uh, you know, the ish, the concept of censoring him, but it's mm -hmm. just not in this case, which I think is like, it's not as strong a stance for, yeah. you know, open discussion I would like to see from Spotify. And, you know, with this episode specifically, I can't help but feel like this is just Spotify is more doing this because Joe Rogan brings them a lot of money than any actual concern. And they had a, a veritable bump in their stock when it was announced that they would get that licensing with Joe Rogan. Right. So there's a lot of money on the table for, for them. Mm -hmm. and Especially now, talks. like, I, I think they, they are, uh, gosh, I don't, I haven't looked at Joe Rogan's episodes on their platform, but I have heard that they want to roll out a video aspect as well for mm. certain podcasts. So, I mean, I think eventually they want, might want to challenge YouTube. Uh, for like podcast video supremacy, but unfortunately, Which I'm all for for the time being. I, I I want these companies to compete against each other, and hopefully, you know, if Spotify ends up undermining some of Google's monopoly, yeah. there I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. I'm assuming that Spotify is a better version, right? But that's like know, but, that's the only caveat. I would yeah. like it if it meant that one of them would be better, but it seems like they're just equally bad right now. But imagine how I much money I... Spotify could bring in if they were to say we are the only place, kind of like aside from Infowars directly, where you can get Alex Jones content with video. Imagine how much of a draw that would be for some people. Yeah, no, I I think it would be there is a market for a platform that is genuinely free speech right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's tough because we have seen platforms like try to just that is their only brand mm -hmm. right and there isn't an, an uh, the market isn't big enough that that's the only thing you could go with it seems yeah it seems you need like to have already at least to be established to some degree or have someone with a huge audience that's using yeah. you and maybe using right. you exclusively um but anyway speaking of alex jones so Alex Jones is not on Spotify. You can't find his own content on there. But Joe Rogan recently had Alex Jones on his podcast. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, he's also planning on having him back for the election, right? Yeah, he's going to have, I think, the uh, the announced people for Joe Rogan's election night special, which you shouldn't watch because you're you gonna should be, be watching, watching our yeah, election exactly. night special. <laughs> he's going to be having Alex Jones, uh, Kyle Kalinske, who's very much on the opposite side mm -hmm. of the political spectrum. Right. And I think Tim Dillon, again, who's a comedian, who's just, uh, I'm not he just makes everything better in, in that circumstance. That's your opinion. <laughs> I don't find him that funny. But anyway, uh, I don't want to get in trouble over my views on comedy again with you guys. But uh, so, yeah, BuzzFeed News, which sounds like that's kind of a misnomer in, in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, actually, you know, going through the articles for this segment, I was like, oh, wow. Like, it's kind of depressing that BuzzFeed News had, like, kind of the best, most succinct article on this stuff. Yeah. So it touched on all the things that, in the appropriate way. But that's that's what it was. Yeah. BuzzFeed News. So they write, in public, Spotify is staying quiet about an appearance by conspiracy theorist Alex Jones yesterday on its flagship podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, despite banning Jones's own podcast last year. But in an internal email sent from a top executive, the company is defending the booking. Horatio Gutierrez, the company's chief legal officer and head of global affairs, wrote to team managers on October 28th about the episode of Joe Rogan's podcast that featured an interview with Jones and podcast host 
host Tim Dillon. If a team member has concerns about any piece of content on our platform, you should encourage them to report it to trust and safety. It's always these trust and safety departments. Like They're it, so dystopian. It's such a dystopian Yeah, name, no, right? just like, get rid of great. that entire department. You don't need it. You don't yeah. need it. Uh, I, I like that comes straight out of Orwell almost. Yeah. And I know that that's t- like Orwell's totally troped about too much. But, but this is. Yeah, that's that's trust and safety. They all have all of them. Twitter yeah. has a trust and safety department. YouTube as yeah, well, it's... Facebook. And it's they're all like just these like censors that want to. And it's like, do does anybody have a- any trust or feel safe with no, these things? They no. feel like quite the opposite. They yeah. feel very much. Malevolent. <laughs> yeah, malevolent just... entities. So it says. They are the experts on our team charged with reviewing content, Gutierrez wrote in an email obtained by BuzzFeed. However, it's important that they aren't simply flagging a piece of content just because of something they've read online. It's all too common that things are taken out of context. I agree with that, but again, it's just, it's hypocritical to hear them say this about Alex, or about Joe Rogan, who they've invested, I guess, a lot of money in, versus not giving the same opportunity to Alex Jones. Because oh, I guess yeah, they sure. didn't see him as yeah. lucrative. Spotify has always been a place for creative expressions. The top bullet point said it's important to have diverse voices and points of view on our platform to a certain extent, I suppose. We are not going to ban specific individuals from being guests on other people's shows as the episode slash show complies with our content policies. In closing, we appreciate that not all of you will agree with every piece of content on our platform. However, we do expect you to help your teams understand our role as a platform and the care we take in making decisions. Okay, so again, like... I appreciate what they're saying here, but I feel like they're still pandering way too much to these activists within their own companies. Like if there's this much dissent, this much complaining over a huge deal, just get rid of these people. Stop trying to like they're replaceable. Oh, Joe Rogan is not. So stop trying to. But what I I love about what Joe did here, which like, um, you know, he's really impressed me this past week, I think in particular. But what I love about what he did here was. As soon as he signed with Spotify, they started having problems, particularly once the Abigail Schreier episode went out. Yeah. But the, the there was a large backlash within Spotify internally, right, as we mm-hmm. mentioned already. Um, and there was, like, potential censorship of a show coming out. Um, and he didn't comment too much on it. And then, boom, released an Alex Jones episode, yeah. with, like, within a week of the election. Yeah. Like... Um, so I thought that was a pretty impressive thing to do there. And by the same token, Spotify, Spotify was kind of hamstrung in the situation. It's like, because he basically said, okay, you know, I'm doing this and, you know, take it or lose it. We have, there's probably a contract in place that. Where he has like editorial controllers. Right. Exactly. I'm almost certain that there would be. Um, so they might be hamstrung here, but at least, uh, they complied. Like mm-hmm. they, 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 yeah. they followed through. And I think that's awesome. And I think that more people who are in a position of power, like Joe Rogan, if they actually do believe in like open dialogue and stuff, well, put your money where your mouth is kind yeah. of like do yeah. what Joe Rogan is doing. Like you have the power to give these people a platform, even if you don't For necessarily sure. agree with anything or everything they say, like don't just pay lip service when it mm-hmm. directly affects you, like actually be willing to spotlight these voices if you have the power to do so. And uh, yeah, on that note also, I mean, one of the reasons why we're going to um, uh, Tim Poole's election night uh, coverage is because you know he's he is a genuine guy who's actually interested in talking to people right as he's got come under fire recently for having vosh on the platform and is a, potentially going to be having um nick fuentes on yeah. i don't know if that actually going to happen I, but, but he i think they are trying to get alex jones themselves we've yes, had alex yeah. jones on the show he was a very courteous guest i thought that was a great interview that was um, a good interview yeah. yeah and like regarding the flack that tim is getting for having vosh because usually we see 
people on the left complaining about a right-wing figure. Now, with the whole thing with Vosh, is I, I do see a lot of people who are either more center or center-right or even just conservative attacking Tim for speaking with Vosh. And I have to say this, like, I don't like Vosh as a person. Like, just personally, I, I, I don't like him. So I understand that a lot of you probably just don't want him to be platformed because he might gain any popularity, whatever. I think we need to be really careful that we don't start just becoming the left-wing equivalent, of, or sorry, the right-wing equivalent of social justice warriors. And like with Vosh specifically, I, it's, I, I dislike his political views, obviously, but I think I might dislike his personality more than that. Like it's, it's a hard, it's a toss up, I right? Know, I've yeah. seen him call people that I respect really bad names that I'm not going to repeat. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people just from a, an emotional place of anger, they feel betrayed when someone like Tim is talking in a civil way with this person who's like arguably quite dislikable. Um, don't take it personally, guys. I think for Tim, and I think I can vouch for this, this is about ideas, right? That he's not condoning Vosh like as a person, as a buddy. He just wants to be able to talk to him like he does a lot of other people. And I don't think yeah. attacking Tim is the right thing to do here. Uh, you know, if anyone should come under flag for this, like if you if you hate everything that Vosh said and things he's done in the past, then that's that's what you need to direct at Vosh specifically, not at Tim. I also want to say that when the right wing engages in censorship in 2020, it's like that's if, if you're even promoting the idea like we shouldn't have these people on our platforms and like you are assenting to defeat mm -hmm. because they the left controls everything. So as long as you assent that that censorship is somehow viable at all as an idea, then we lose because they, they they're like okay you agree with us that censorship as an idea is okay yeah. well we have all we, we pull no all the levers there yeah. yeah so you know right now that's definitely not the argument we want to say if you want to be pragmatic about it at the very least right for sure um speaking of just i guess like no platforming and censorship glenn greenwald who is a, a journalist writer who we've we've referenced before on this show especially specifically in our barry weiss piece that was one of my favorite segments that we've done recently um so he was recently on joe rogan's show uh you know they were talking about what journalism means to glenn and i thought he made some i mean honestly there was like a little bit of a like patting yourself on the back as a journalist i thought there but yeah, yeah they were talking about what journalism is supposed to be and it's supposed to be about criticizing the people in power the people who control the narrative and things like that mm -hmm. and uh, i didn't watch i didn't listen to the whole episode you listen to a lot more of it than me yeah but what's interesting about that is that essentially the next day Glenn Greenwald also announced that he was resigning from The Intercept, which is the publication that he actually co-founded. That's right. The reason being uh, that they were, according to Glenn, because now there's like a back and forth about this, trying to censor a piece he wanted to put out uh, that was critical of Joe Biden. And not only did the people at The Intercept against um Greenwald's contract, which guaranteed editorial freedom, not only did they want to censor the publication on uh, the publication of the article on their own platform, they also didn't want him to be able to publish it on another platform, which was a like another, uh, I guess, protection that his contract allowed. So he he resigned and he released a pretty scathing letter on social media. And uh, we also have this post from him. He says, I won't do a tit for tat with The Intercept. I get the need to defend themselves, but just note, one, ask Betsy Reed why they won't publish an accounting of what happened with Reality Winner and who that cover-up is protecting. And two, great journalism that nobody reads isn't great. He says, given their claims, I'm going to publish, along with censored article, the emails about it so people can decide for themselves if it was censored. Yeah. 
Four, I understand that uh, The Intercept's editors will slam my journalism as changed. I wish they had the courage to do it before today. So that's all kind of... I mean, this was blowing up because yeah, for sure. it, it was almost like a Barry Weiss-esque when she left the New yes. York Times. Like, he is leaving them saying, you're, you're not letting me say what I want to say. Yeah, and, and actually, like, I actually read, because he published the article uh, within the past 24 hours of filming this. Right. Um, he hasn't released the emails as of yet, but um, I, I went through the article. Um, it's a pretty long piece, and it's not fully completed yet. Like, he hadn't been, had done the final draft yet. He's keeping right. it as the final... The, in the last exact thing they state saw. that he, yeah, in the exact state yeah. that he sent to them, um, so it's it's definitely not perfect. But to me, the article it was critical of Biden, definitely. But it was almost it was almost a meta meta thing because it was critical of journalism with regards to the Biden scandal. Right. It was saying that like look at all these journalists who are covering for Biden, who are giving him literally providing him excuses to not answer these tough questions and never giving him these tough questions mm-hmm. um, on their own terms. So by by writing about all these journalist problems uh, with regards to Biden, The Intercept's response to that is, well, this is kind of critical of Biden. Let's censor you. Yeah. Right? So and, it, I mean, in... To, to play devil's advocate, according to The Intercept, I don't know how much credit you want to give them. They say, oh, no, he wasn't censored. Uh, we just provided, like, we just edited him. Right. Which, again, that in and of itself is Orwellian. Like, no, no, your opinions aren't being censored. They're being edited, right? So it's... They like to play games with language. We, we know yeah. this. I'm very interested in seeing exactly what those emails entail. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I'm inclined to believe what Greenwald has said. Definitely. Same, yeah. I, Especially I, just looking at everything that, you know, there are some Intercept employees have commented on this. I mean, none of them seem to be very favorable to the idea of freedom ex- of expression or freedom of speech. I've also seen a lot of progressives now accuse Greenwald of being you know, a Russian sympathizer or operative and yeah. just crazy stuff. Yep. It's like, all right, I see how things are. Um, but yeah, I guess the essence of this segment is that man media, like they have a tight and by they, I mean, you know, progressives, leftists, I mean, yeah. they, the establishment, they have a tight control over what can and can't be said right now, either through yeah. big tech platforms or different publications. And it's like if you actually if you believe in the concept of democracy and elections, you need to have a free, a free and open press. Otherwise, yeah. it's like the elite is just controlling everything, basically. No, absolutely. And I think the main like the way we tie this whole segment together is that. At least uh, Joe Rogan this past week, which is just before the election, has had these whole series of guests on between yeah. Jones, Greenwald. Um, he's also just had Gad Sad on. And there was a fourth one who I'm now forgetting. But Was it the uh, the ROGD lady? No, that was prior. That was yeah. prior. That was prior. Uh, but the point is, just before the election, he's had a series of people that are questioning the progressive stuff, the the status quo that the progressives, tech giants, um, mainstream media are bringing about. And I think that this is one of the more um, virtuous things that I've seen uh, Joe do with his show. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. All right. So now we're going to turn to a total 180 because this is not going to be a virtuous segment at all. We're going to talk about (laughs) Jessica Yaniv. First, though, I want to tell you all about a new book, Not Free America, one of the most interesting books I've heard of in quite a while. It's written by Mike Donovan. 
no relation. Uh, someone who has fought tyranny for years as the founder of the nation's largest pro bono civil rights firm. So as Donovan puts it in his new book, Not Free America, the Bill of Rights has been under attack long before COVID-19, something that I very firmly agree with. If you refuse to surrender your liberty to any earthly power, you need this book. Not Free America solves the issue of citizens being used by the government, but it's more than just a book. It's also a solution. So visit notfreeamerica.com to take the Liberty Pledge and order your copy today to find out how to stop the overreaching abuse of government and what actions you can take to do better. You need to work together and do better to fix the ever-compounding liberty crisis in America. If we can all unite around the concept of liberty, we can create lasting greatness. And remember, the most significant changes usually come from times of crisis, maybe like the one we're in right now. So do your part. Visit NotFreeAmerica.com today. That is NotFreeAmerica.com to order your book today. All right. So Jessica Yaniv, um, everyone's favorite trends predator canadian i don't know where to start it's yeah. an incredible situation to me because this is someone who's so overtly a troll u- using like, the tools of, of the left like, yes. like just in the crudest way possible to just wheel like like bring law cases against businesses mm-hmm. people it, it's super dangerous but at the same time at the start of the show we're like you know, I don't know what to call them. And at yeah. this point, I, I genuinely have to comply to some degree because right. the law and might as actually we've support seen, this person. Yaniv is litigious above all else. Yes. Um, and it's just, you know, I don't agree with what Yaniv is doing. But at the same time, I also feel like Yaniv is maybe doing better than a lot of conservatives at illustrating to progressives how ridiculous some of these laws are, right? And how easily exploited oh, yeah. they can be. It's true. Uh, so we just have a, another example of this. So this is from the New York Post. It says a Canadian transgender woman is suing a beauty pageant company for refusing to allow her to compete in its contest, according to the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom, which represents the business. Jessica Neve, a transgender LGBTQ rights activist. Actually, I was going on Yaniv's Twitter profile the other day. Yaniv uh, identifies herself as a trans lesbian. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, anyway. So Yaniv filed a human rights complaint against Toronto's Canada Galaxy pageants, alleging it is in violation of the Ontario Human Rights Code. Oh, I thought Yaniv was in BC. Interesting. Uh, the conservative legal policy organization announced Monday in May 2019, Yaniv, whose biological sex is male, I think, I think anyone who's who's seeing the picture in this article can tell that. Okay, applied to be a contestant. At what point will they not be allowed to say that anymore, though? Yeah, because that like... Biological sex is male. Because they they have dead naming where you're not allowed to say their previous name. Maybe they're going to have like, you're dead gendering them. Right. Yeah, to even yeah, acknowledge no, to, yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there were there were always a female. Right. I mean, May 2019, Yaniv, whose biological sex is male, applied to be a contestant in the pageant's 28 years and older division, but did not disclose she was transgender and had yet to complete gender reassignment surgery, the Justice Center alleged. Yaniv was tentatively accepted to the pageant, but the business had a formal policy stating only genetic females or transgender women who had fully transitioned, so I think they're talking about the snip there, were allowed to be contestants, the Justice Center said. When Yaniv was reminded of the policy, she filed a complaint alleging the pageant company engaged in discrimination based on gender identity, gender expression, and sex. She is seeking $10,000 in damages for injury to dignity and feelings and wants Ontario's Human Rights Tribunal to rule that organizations cannot refuse service to someone based on their genitals, the Justice Center alleged. So she's alleging genital discrimination, which if you're familiar with Yaniv, the, uh, the previous lawsuits that... 
he they were also filed also alleged genital discrimination so if you haven't been keeping up with this Yaniv was the person who tried to sue uh like beauty salons uh aestheticians for not wanting to wax Yaniv's male genitalia because apparently right. that's transphobia you either well female you wax, penis gen- yeah you wax yeah. my balls or you're a transphobic bigot right yeah and uh Yaniv did not win that by the way <laughs> yeah and i kind of suspect that Yaniv will not win this either. Um, right. But I, I guess, they, are they making money from this? They must be, right? From litigation and attention? Like, I don't is know. Is someone funding this? Like, where do they get the money for the lawsuits if they keep losing? Right, lawyers are expensive. Or is Yaniv representing herself, himself? I don't even know. Yeah, honestly. But I I think this is a good illustration of, you know, the, the fact that you can't just pretend that gender and sex are whatever you feel like it and that biology is totally meaningless because that's just not true. And like mm-hmm. most people, if you say like, hey, should a female bikini waxer have to wax balls? They would say, of course not. You can't. You can't. That's ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, this progressive ideology that would say, actually, yes, yes, you can make that. And that is the feminist thing to do is make that woman, that small business owner, wax those balls. Uh, so, I mean, I'm hoping that Ontario sees the light and realizes, hang on, this is ridiculous. Like, we can't mm-hmm. make the beauty pageant except, uh, you know, throughout this case. But it is it is Ontario, you know, the the place where was yeah, it Bill the... C-16 was birthed. So we don't have the greatest track record here with our we have a we have a human rights uh committee in every province here in Canada yeah. because why not and uh yeah we don't have a very good track record with mm-hmm. uh, siding with reason in no. these courts the article continues for reasons of safety and security it is imperative that biological women and girls and fully transitioned transgender females have spaces where they can associate free from the presence of individuals with male genitalias this is particularly so in situations where women and girls are exposed or vulnerable Alison Kendall Pejovich I don't know an attorney with the Justice Center said in a statement Yaniv didn't immediately return a request for comment and her complaint which is confidential was not readily available. The Justice Center accused the activists of being a serial filer of human rights complaints. In 2019, Yaniv, as we just mentioned, filed a series of complaints against five Vancouver estheticians for their refusal to perform bikini waxes on her because of her genitals. Oh, so that was in BC. So maybe, yeah. like, maybe Yaniv is now moving to Ontario to give their human rights tribunal a spin, see how progressive or woke they are. Who knows at this point? Yeah, so, and actually, I, I did, so... Jessica and Eve is still on Twitter. Her handle is at Trusted Nerd. And I was just going through the post to see, like, what, what have you been up to? A lot of the posts that Yaniv makes are just complaining about being discriminated against because of gender identity. So there's this uh, this one that I thought was pretty funny. The post says, Hi, at Mark Patron. Enjoy having to respond to this complaint. I am filing against you with the CBSC. And the specific concern listed is statements made on this program were transphobic and fueled hate speech, inviting a person named Chris Elston to spew hateful remarks about gender identity and transgenderism. In addition, a caller called in named Donald, who started to spew hateful comments without being immediately cut off. The broadcaster allowed Donald to continue spewing these statements and did not immediately cut off Donald from the line or apologize to the listeners. He told Donald he cannot say the things and then cut them off but the statements were still made and are discriminatory and defamatory in nature so it's i mean pretty mm. much Je- jessica and eve is like the ultimate 
Karen, like activist Karen, right. just complaining to people about mistreatment. It's like, oh goodness, you didn't, you didn't like put them under the guillotine fast enough. So yeah, so I am now must complaining be sued. to yeah. you. Yeah, this it's just it sounds exhausting to be a person like this. Uh, best of luck to this beauty pageant, and that's the thing. Like, aren't beauty pageants supposed to be like not progressive anyway because they're a symbol of patriarchy and objectification? These people don't have a kind of a logical consistency that's to true. them. Yeah, so it's I, just kind I, of I don't whatever. Know. I don't know. I don't. I hope that they're not because there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on in beauty pageants. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, I have no idea. Yeah. All right. So next up, we're going to be talking about everything happening in France. But before we do, I want to tell you all about our sponsor, Nutrafol. So 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, and no, you are not alone, and there's a solution you can trust to deliver real results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol, with many users raving that the supplement not only transformed their hair, but restored their confidence too. And Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. And by the way, there is a separate formula, Nutrafol, for men as well, because as we all know, thick hair, it's just something anybody wants. It's not gender specific. Uh, you know, Jessica Yuni would be, you know, I'm sure whatever their gender identity is, the care is important, right? So healthier hair growth does take time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair in three to six months. In a, in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. More than 1,500 top doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code CHEN. New customers will get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere, plus free shipping on every single order order get 20% off at neutrafol.com spelled n-u-t-r-a-f-o-l.com with the promo code chen if you've dealt with kind of like hair loss or shedding before you may have tried things like shampoo but the thing with that is that that's really a surface level thing like you're it doesn't really get to the root of hair growth unlike a supplement like neutrafol which is actually I think much more targeted in solving that issue all right so as you are probably aware of if you watched was it last week's episode maybe the week before of our of our long episode it was probably last week's episode yeah recently Probably. in france there was a teacher who showed a cartoon drawing of the prophet muhammad when giving a i guess history or like free speech lesson yes he was unfortunately beheaded by one of the students and uh, you know this has really kicked off a debate in france and really worldwide of uh, the issue of freedom of expression versus mm -hmm. respecting religious wishes and now we have another attack that has happened in france another fatal attack as the bbc reports here three people have died in a knife attack at a church in nice in what french president emmanuel macron said was an islamist terrorist attack he said france would not surrender its core values after visiting the Notre Dame Basilica in the southern city. An extra 4,000 troops are being deployed to protect churches and schools. In Nice, one elderly victim was virtually beheaded, officials said. Another woman and a man also died. The male victim was a lay member of staff responsible for the upkeep of the church, and he reportedly had a wife and two children. The woman, aged 44, managed to flee to a nearby cafe after being stabbed several times, but died later. The male suspect was shot and detained. So Mr. Rickard said the suspect was a 21-year-old Tunisian national who had arrived in France earlier this month. He had a document issued by the Italian Red Cross. And this, this is something that I want to note. Okay, so Emmanuel Macron... To, I mean, this is a good thing. He's taken a very hard stance against, you know, Islamic extremism, been very pro, like, freedom of speech and all that yeah. for France. But what I think we fail to see from Macron, who is a leftist, is a, the the addressing the root cause of the issue. Paul Joseph Watson recently did a video about this. Um, 
you know, of the recent terror attacks in France, they have been committed by people who are not French nationals, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's all good to virtue signal against Islamic extremism, but if you keep continuing to import Islamic extremism, it's not going to get better, right? I don't know what you think, like all of these displays, these Charlie Hebdo salutes, this hashtag just sweet, whatever, like if you continue to open your borders and bring in people who don't respect French values, like, what do you think is going to happen? They're just gonna they're gonna arrive and they're gonna see like these nice light displays and these hashtag campaigns are launching and think, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I do need to respect, you know, this other person's right to blaspheme against my religion. That's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. Not at all. So Nice Mayor Christian Estrosi spoke of Islamofascism and said the suspect had repeated endlessly, Allahu Akbar, God is greatest. And, you know, there were reports immediately when this uh, attack happened that the suspect was saying Allahu Akbar, but at the same time, there are media outlets saying that the motive was unknown. It's like, pretty yeah. sure we know what the motive is. Two other attacks, the BBC notes, took place on Thursday, one in France and one in Saudi Arabia. A man was shot dead in Montfavet, near the southern French city of Avignon, after threatening police with a handgun. A guard was also attacked outside the French consulate in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. A suspect was arrested and the guard taken to hospital. Speaking after visiting Nice, President Macron said, if we are attacked once again, it is for the values which are ours, freedom, for the possibility on our soil to believe freely and not give in to the spirit of any terror. Yeah, so this is a very unfortunate thing that is happening in France right now. And yes. if you are in France, uh, you know, I think so many people around the world are praying for your safety. But I, I think it's also relevant to note, and, you know, Macron didn't really mention anything, that this was specifically an attack against Catholics, what happened in Nice. Yeah, and, and for me, I'm glad this is finally getting some attention because although that there hasn't been so many overt uh, violent deaths, to my knowledge. Right. Um, churches being attacked all across Europe is nothing new. Right. And particularly in France. In France, it's right. been, I think, the worst in Europe where you're having churches being burnt on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I do want to point out to people who are listening, like, don't mistake Macron coming out, like, firmly in support of freedom of speech and, again, Islamic expression as him siding with Christians or Catholics in any way. Because, like, his thing is, like, he is a French secularist, right? Yeah. And know that he only cares about, you know, protecting churches when it's Islamic extremism that is doing it. So, uh, and mm -hmm. that goes for Christians everywhere. Like, a lot of these, like, progressive, really, I don't want to call Macron progressive. I, I guess he is. But, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are coming down against Islamic extremism. A lot of them just hate religion in general. So, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, call them an ally with a broad brushstroke. But uh, yeah, anyway, so now that this is really kicked off, predictably, we also have a lot of people saying like, yeah, beheading people for drawing Muhammad is bad. But also, let's talk about Islamophobia, right? Let's mm, let's talk sure. about how Muslims are the real victims here. Specifically, we have this one tweet thread from the former prime minister of Malaysia, who, I mean... We'll, we'll just read it. He says, respect others. A teacher in France had his throat slit by an 18-year-old Chechen boy. The killer was angered by the teacher showing a caricature of Prophet Muhammad. The teacher intended to demonstrate freedom of expression. The killing is not an act that as a Muslim I would approve. Okay, good. Yep. But, see, this is, I, I, no, just leave it there. The killing is not an act I would approve of, full stop. That's, that's the statement. But while I believe in freedom of expression, I do not think it includes insulting other people. What? That's... What does that mean? You don't believe in the freedom of expression, then. Yeah, exactly. Right? You cannot go up to a man and curse him simply because you believe in freedom of speech. But you can, though. You should. You could say maybe you should not, 
but you can, right? In Malaysia, where there are people of many different races and religions, we have avoided serious conflicts between races because we are conscious of the need to be sensitive to the sensitivity of sensitivities of others. If we are not, then this country would never be peaceful and stable. Actually, uh, as someone who is familiar with all of the attacks against like the ethnic Chinese in Malaysia, it's not really fair to say that they're living in perfect harmony. We often copy the ways of the West, we dress like them, we adopt their political systems, even some of their strange practices, but we have our own values different as between races and religions, which we need to sustain. I got um, no problem with that, by the way. Like most of this stuff, because he, he, this guy is going to say something that is completely egregious at the end of this tweet thread. Mm -hmm. But I, the reason why we put in this whole tweet thread is that some of the stuff he says is reasonable, and I don't have a problem with some of the things he's saying here. Yeah. He says, generally, the West no longer adhere to their own religion. That is very true. They are mm -hmm. Christians in name only. That's right. That is their right. But they must not show disrespect for the values of others, for the religion of others. It is a measure of the level of their civilization to show this respect. Macron is not showing that he is civilized. He is very primitive in blaming the religion of Islam and Muslims for the killing of the insulting school teacher. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. It is not in keeping with the teachings of Islam, but irrespective of the religion professed, angry people kill. The French in the course of their history has killed millions of people. Many were Muslim. So that's, yeah. that's that's a whole mixed bag of things. For sure. But what's most important is the 12th tweet in that Twitter thread, which Twitter finally, after uh, some time, decided that it consisted of hate speech. Yeah. And uh, here it is right here. So this is no longer... Up, but he said, Muslims have a right to be angry and to kill millions of French people for the massacres of the past. Yeah, so I thought it, it's good It's good to include the context for what he was saying there. But even with the context, that is a statement that just yeah, like that's, is unequivocally disgusting. Yeah. Right. You know, I think that it's, it's good to highlight these, these statements because, you know, I, I think we have the tendency to not want to paint more people as extreme than are necessary, which is a very good thing, you know, and it applies very much so with the issue of religion. Like I know a lot of Muslim people. I studied Middle Eastern studies and Arabic when I was in university, I have a lot of great Muslim friends, but the issue with Islamic extremism, it's not as fringe as yeah. I think some people would have you believe. Uh, so that we've, we've had some apologetics from the like Islamic world. And also there have been riots against the, what's happening in France. Mm -hmm. No. All over the world. I also want to say that I agree with what he was saying in the sense that you you shouldn't say these things. You, oh, you, yeah. you should have the a bit like you the sh you shouldn't be killed if you do say these things, of course, or even yeah. assaulted. But I think it's it's disrespectful to do these things. Uh, showing the cartoon, I think, is in class is different. By the way, I don't think that's disrespectful. I mean, I don't think they'll like it. I but. It's to show that it, because it's meant to show what freedom of expression is, it's a different context entirely. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm of the belief where, like, again, I believe you should be able to show Muhammad absolutely without getting beheaded, yeah. uh, you know, without kicking off like an international conflict or anything like that or without the threat of genocide, Malaysian ex-prime minister. But at the same time, as someone who does have religious beliefs and think yes. that religious beliefs are very important i would not out of respect for the muslims that i do consider friends and loved ones i would not draw muhammad i know that in of response course. there have been a lot of people saying we need to have a national draw muhammad day and i understand the the sentiment behind that because you want to like give the middle finger to these people who are trying to control your speech um i still wouldn't do that though personally yeah i i i'm on the fence here i mean i definitely think that if you're a muslim and you particularly you immigrate or to France. Yeah. Like you accept, particularly when you, you take your pledge as a citizen, 
you accept everything in, in that constitution and you right. accept that there's free speech. You do not have to live in France. And if you really are that abhorred by this French practice of free speech, then don't go there. Do not go there. Yeah, that's all. You know, they might do something like that. That, that is insulting. It is insulting to you. Unequivocally, I'll say that it's insulting. Yeah. But if you behave in a violent way in return, particularly beheading somebody, uh, including a 70 year old woman in a church, you're an animal. Right. Right. So you have no high ground to stand on. For sure. Um, now, moving on to how, I guess, Pope Francis, I was going to say Catholics, but I, I think a lot of people who are Catholic <laughs> would say that Pope Francis no longer represents their views. Don't put me on the spot like yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, so um, his response to this attack was he, he said, I am close to the Catholic community of Nice, mourning the attack that sowed death in a place of prayer and consolation. I pray for the victims, for their families, and for the beloved French people that they may respond to evil with good. Now, I think overall... This is a very lukewarm sentiment. Um, you know, your Catholics were attacked specifically for their faith. Mm-hmm. I, I would want the Pope to come out stronger in defense of and the just Catholic retake faith. Constantinople. Yes. Oh. Um, but no, this is just kind of it's a, like a wishy-washy thing. And it's it's not as disappointing, though, as what he had said in the 2015 aftermath of the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Um, so we're going to read this. Keep in mind, this was this is five years old, but I do think it speaks to what the Pope's view of this whole issue is. It says, speaking to journalists flying with him to Philippines, Pope Francis said last week's attacks were an aberration and such horrific violence in God's name could not be justified. Okay, I like that a lot. Yes. He staunchly defended freedom of expression, but... But then he said there were limits, especially when people mocked religion. If my good friend, Dr. Gaspari who organizes the Pope's trips, speaks badly of my mother, he can expect to get punched, he said, throwing a pretend punch at the doctor who was standing beside him. No, no, that's not, what? You're a Pope. You're supposed to be like a spokesperson for Catholicism. That's that, not that is a works. weird one from a Pope, like yeah. threatening to punch somebody. That's, um, yeah, he can expect to get Even if it's a joke, punched. but there's like a, there actually is an undertone of a threat there. Yeah, so. he says you cannot provoke, you cannot insult the faith of others, you cannot make fun of the faith of others. There is a limit. Like there, there's a can... difference between saying like you, you, you shouldn't versus you cannot. Right, exactly. You could say it's a sin to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe we could get on board with that. But the the whole, like, you see how backwards it is just by his new tweet where he says, you know, you shouldn't punish evil with, with evil. You yeah. Should, you should, like, hopefully they respond with good. But obviously, if you're saying, I'm going to punch you if you insult my then mother. Then you believe you should respond with evil. Th- exactly. It just yeah. doesn't make sense at no, all. No, it it's doesn't make backwards. sense. and. Yeah, I mean, it's, I would be kind of frustrated if I were Catholic, seeing that, like, you know, the figurehead, leader of the religion, I, should be coming out stronger in defense of the practitioners, right? I mean, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you submit yourself to without, you know, any any pushback, get beheaded. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not what it's about. Um, and also, we have, of course, the mainstream media, New York Times here, kind of playing the, oh, but how does this affect Muslims card? This article says French officials have vowed to crack down on what the hardline interior minister, Gerald Darmanin, has called the enemy within, closing a mosque, proposing to ban several Muslim groups the government considers extremists, and even suggesting the elimination of ethnic food aisles in stores. All right, I don't know how much <laughs> use that last one is going to be, but 
Mr. Macron. I thought that was the point of immigration. Yeah, what to have the, the food, especially if you're somewhere like England, where it's like the native food is not question. Yeah. yeah. And it says Mr. Macron, who became a, who began a campaign earlier this month against Islamic separatism from France's deeply held secular values. Note here they're saying secular values, not Christian values, mm -hmm. secular values. Said recently that Muslims need to develop an Islam of enlightenment, which many considered patronizing. While these statements and others from French officials have have engendered a backlash in some Muslim countries, they have mostly caused bewilderment among France's nearly 6 million Muslims, almost all of whom condemn violence but fear they are all being labeled terrorists. I mean, like maybe maybe this is just kind of my perspective, but I, I didn't see that many Muslims condemning the violence without also using it as a way to say, but also don't draw Muhammad. Yeah. Um, which I feel kind of like lessens... Because, I mean, it does feel like victim blaming, right? It's oh, like, yeah, guys, sure. rape is wrong. But that short, that skirt, I mean, it was it was very revealing, you have to admit, right? You know, like, you don't do not do that. Actually, here in Canada, there was um, one is Islamic, I don't remember what they're called, a teacher. Imam? Uh, Imam. Uh, I saw a video of this, it's two minutes long, where he basically, he actually sides with, with the attacker in this yeah. case, uh, saying what a vile and disgusting person the teacher was in this case, who was teaching that free speech um, lesson mm -hmm. um, and and seemed to be pretty much on board with what was happening. Yeah. Shocking. The article continues, after this attack, five or six million people have to justify themselves, Mr. Belebas said, but we just don't know what is expected of us. I mean, don't don't try to, I don't know, become an apologetic for a, like a blasphemy beheading, I guess. Yeah, uh, you guys should be routing these people out of your community. That's yeah, what exactly. should be happening. You Condemning be them, taking a strong stand against extremists, standing yeah. with your fellow French citizens for if, if the- If they do not represent your views, know that these people have extremely violent views that are uh, antithetical to French views, yeah. you need to take action against them. They Pass are not your out. allies. Yeah. yeah. Naziha Mayoufi, a member of LES Musulman, an, an association of Muslim groups and mosques, said she felt dread and infinite sadness for the families of the victims for our Catholic friends. Okay, perfect. Continues, though, but... See, it's always that, yes, but... it's always that. But she said that after the attack on Thursday, she feared politicians and commentators would feel even more entitled to label Islam an enemy from within. As Muslims, she said, we pay the damages of those two forms of extremism. Yeah, so, I mean, best of luck to France going forward, but I just don't think that the people in charge are really actually ready to tackle the root of the issue, right? I mean, you see this, like, you can try to virtue signal for free speech all you want, but as long as you continue to import people who, at their core oppose free speech, uh, things aren't going to get better.